Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. This is a unbelievable episode. Like, it defini- definitionally unbelievable. I uh, I don't know how it came to pass that I was able to get Robert Malone and Judge Andrew Napolitano on the same episode, but I feel incredibly blessed to have had this opportunity. Uh, Dr. Malone does not hold back. He tells you exactly what he thinks. He's very measured in his response, but I think it gives a greater sense of gravity to the words he's actually conveying. Uh, I'm not going to give any spoilers other than to say, I hope you guys will share it around. This is the man who went on the Joe Rogan experience in December of 2021 and basically blew up the entire narrative that was happening on a global scale. And uh, I'm forever grateful for him having done so. And I feel that his work is far from over. He hints at a future appearance on a big podcast here very soon. So this will kind of be a highlight into what he may be discussing over there and uh, maybe even some things that Joe wouldn't want to talk about. So it'll be uh, interesting to see what your feedback is. Please, 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 please leave a comment right now. Hit a like button right now and share this and make sure you subscribe while you're at it. Um, because of the nature of this episode, I will not be putting the entire entirety of it up on YouTube simply because I know I can't, and that's too bad. Um, so you're probably watching this right now over on Rumble or Rockfin or Locals or Odyssey, any of the platforms that actually give me an opportunity to ask the questions that we all want to have answers to. I'm just asking them, you know, we're just trying to figure out the truth here. We're not trying to create misinformation. Okay. Leave me alone. Um, Last but not least, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. I will be doing an AMA over there next week. Uh, by the way, Friday, I have Dr. Joseph Ladapo, this uh, Surgeon General, <laughs> almost an Attorney General, the Surgeon General of Florida. And uh, the following week, I will have on Dave Smith with Jimmy Dore. So big, big things happening. I hope you guys uh, are enjoying it as much as I am. And if you are, make sure you share it around so people know. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. This is Clint Russell. I am absolutely thrilled today to have on the great Dr. Robert Malone. He has been made quite famous, infamous, and notorious over the past few years. Uh, Probably a trajectory for his career that was unexpected, I would imagine, uh, given that you you didn't live in controversy for the majority of it. Uh, I'd like to start there. What has this experience been like going from probably not a public figure to one of the most well-known ones. Not only not a public figure, but uh, I'm studiously trying to avoid becoming a public figure. That's been kind of a core in running a consulting business uh, in this space is uh, the customer generally uh, doesn't want publicity and, and to uh, step out in the way that I have and speak out publicly has uh, you know, literally destroyed our consulting business. Uh, um, but you know, we have new friends and uh, a new space and I, I continue to learn as quickly as I can about modern media and best to master that. Uh, um, and, and it's, you know, with the book and the Substack, it, we, my wife and I, uh, Dr. Joe Glassbill Malone, um, had long imagined that in the waning years of our careers, 
we would turn to writing. And uh, this just kind of forced us to do that. Plus, uh, you know, not just writing, but learning to master this new uh, ninja art of uh, pirate radio right. that we're all embarked on. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I, I'm in the same boat. My career transition happened two and a half years ago when the lockdowns began, as you can tell by the the show title. I was a mortgage broker prior, so I can relate to your uh, your <laughs> unexpected transition just based off of uh, kind of a calling, feeling feeling as if it was necessary. I, I wanted to ask that, actually. Is that the reason that you spoke out as you did? I mean, there's so few doctors. Oh, I, I shouldn't say there's so few, but there's not. It wasn't the majority that uh, <laughs> that, that came well, out in defense of, you know, bodily autonomy enough. and things uh, like that. Yeah. So there, there are so many reasons not to do this if you're a physician, especially if you're a younger physician where you're sitting on a mountain of debt. I think it's it. I, I try to have empathy for people uh, and to to keep in mind that that uh, we're not all alike and we have our, our own situations. And if you're a younger physician with a mountain of debt and a family and a mortgage, uh, and basically you function as an indentured servant of uh, both the insurance industry and of typically these large hospital complexes that now employ most physicians, the old, uh, you know, independent doc uh, treating patients, uh, that's a business model that is almost completely extinguished. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, par you know, it's, it's been odd though, that the ones that have been had the liberty of speaking out, let's, I'm going to put it that way, uh, have often been primary, the few remaining primary care docs mm -hmm. or, or folks like me that are at a later stage in their career. Uh, and they have, uh, some autonomy from the system because of their seniority and the fact they paid off their debts and all that kind of stuff. And, and so I think, um, it, I, I really suggest that we, uh, cut a lot of the docs, a lot of slack, not to say that, uh, their failure to, um, be open and transparent with their patients and with the public is acceptable. I, I don't think it is, but, um, I can understand why they, why they did that and what's it been like uh it's it's a you know the the term brave new world keeps coming to mind in so many different ways uh but um you know what a, what a wonderful gift to have an opportunity in your 60s to uh be able to make a difference uh worldwide um uh in advancing uh the cause of medical ethics of uh um looking forward to a, a decentralized, more decentralized uh, nation state based political structure. You know, we, we, they, there's been so much gaslighting and uh, pejoratives around this acronym, this, this uh, uh, um, political phrase that Trump's campaign launched make america great again but when when you you know that has a whole lot of baggage but if you boil it down well, well who could say who could disagree with the idea that we want to make america great again i mean what's what's fascist about that what's far far right about that <laughs> um you know it's the radical what is radical about um wanting to preserve the freedom of an autonomous nation state and not concede your liberty to some uh corporatist uh, cabal uh, of 
of the thousand largest corporations that want to shape uh, the future of all of us and the future of the world uh, for their own economic benefit. What's what's far, far right about saying, no, I don't want my children to live under indentured servitude. Uh, it seems to me like that's 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 the safe place. That's that's the centrist position. Yeah, uh, it's not far far right. Well, it, it certainly used to be considered a, a moderate position, uh, and one that I thought that more Americans held. Uh, but obviously, we have been divided. I'll get into a little bit of why I think we we've been divided. But before I do, I wanted to ask you about um, uh, in your most. Uh, probably earth shattering interview that you've done over the past couple of years was the, your first appearance on Joe Rogan. And in it, you said that I uh, like the way you phrased that, by the way, uh, that's a, that's a forward looking statement. First yes. appearance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, nice. Uh, but, uh, you had said that hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin were inexplicably forbidden. Uh, I don't know if you said by medical boards or, or the CDC, uh, is it inexplicable today? Do you have any better idea as to what transpired. So we're still getting to the bottom of that is the honest truth. Um, and what was the pathway by which what appears to have been ex undue pharmaceutical industry influence over the FDA and the CDC? How, how did that happen? What were the, what were the levers there? Um, it's, it's getting more and more uh, crystal clear that it happened. Um, and we're increasingly moving to the position of the who and the how. And uh, in, in the most recent development, as you I'm sure know, because you follow all this religiously, uh, is um, the FDA's uh, position in uh, court testimony uh, that um, they're now taking the position that the various kind of defamatory gaslighting uh, things that they did about ivermectin being a horse drug, uh, that all was just advisory. Um, this is a, a case that I believe uh, um, Paul Merrick is involved in uh, ass asserting that the FDA exceeded its statutory authority by uh, trying to force physicians to uh, prescribe certain um, treatments off-label and not others to block them from prescribing things. And the FDA is now falling back on the position, well, those are just advisory statements. We weren't really um, uh, trying to force that. And uh, that that just doesn't meet the sniff test. No. When you look at the propaganda that they put through, the, the censorship, the big, big thing here, Clint, um, I think that we all have to come to terms with, and it's really a very dark thing, is our government um, in, deployed very sophisticated uh, propaganda and um, censorship and uh, defamation uh, strategies, very sophisticated psyops, psychological operations, warfare strategies against US citizens over the last three years. I mean, let's say that again, our government in collusion with tech and with media, clearly deployed um, weapons-grade psychological operations, uh, strategies, and techniques on U.S. citizens um, in order to enforce what were, we, we also know, as I said in a substack the other day, um, uh, in the case of Walensky and Burks, 
um, both have referred to uh, the basis for their assertions being hope rather than data. And so based on hope-based uh, uh, scientific assertions, they authorized and the government authorized weapons-grade psyops against American citizens. That's what happened. You know, we can, we can pretty it up and put a bow on it and, and all that, but that's what happened is, is technologies developed for psychological operations offshore against our opponents were weaponized against U.S. citizens to advance a scientific narrative that was entirely based on hope rather than data. Well, I, I'm sure you're familiar too, but that, that was basically permitted, I believe it was in 2010 or so, uh, under the Obama administration that they were able to do this to the American public because prior, prior it had been considered illegal. And, and now they are, they're capable and it appears they are doing so. I have to agree with your assessment there. Uh, obviously, I appreciate the courage to say it. Do you think, well, I think let's start here. What disturbs me most about it is that they did it during a pandemic. Uh, you know, when people are, are well, at least at the time, what could have been a very disastrous pandemic where a huge percentage of the population died. And yeah, and you're, you're choosing your words carefully because you recognize that what we were sold, the bill of goods we were sold in terms of the risk of this particular pathogen correct, was grossly overstated. Yes, exactly. And that's why I'm, I'm clarifying, you know, in the early stages, many of us, at least I'll just speak for myself, I didn't know what we were up against. And I think most people didn't. And, and, and there and, was, and, you know, just to just to uh, put icing on the cake, neither did I. OK, uh, fair enough. In a, in a UK broadcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was challenged about, I no, it was Canadian. Um, what things did I get wrong? And uh, I kind of nibbled around the edges, uh, but afterwards I recognized, I, I had an epiphany. What I really got wrong was that I also bought into the, um, what was essentially a PSYOPs operation on the part of the CCP against the United States with these false images of rapid build of the hospital, um, people dying in the streets, all that stuff, all of the mass graves, we now know that that was um, propaganda and I bought it and so did many other people. And sure. in, in my case, I bought it as it was being fed to me directly by a CIA agent. And I'm pretty sure that Michael Callahan was played by the CCP. I've, I've dug into this. I've dug into what's been written by Brendan Burrell and others. And uh, once, once I kind of emerged out of that, because I have first-person knowledge of, of him and what happened in Wuhan and subsequently. And so when I mapped uh, what has been published against uh, what I have known and personally experienced in interacting with him, I'm pretty sure that he landed in Nanjing and, uh, and he was, uh, it, the, the CCP was well aware that he was an agent. Um, he speaks of being put in the usual hotel room that he's always put in. Uh, he speaks of, of having um, a full court press of honey traps come at him once he landed. Um, and then he was given a special pass into uh, the main Wuhan hospital for a brief period of time, basically as an observer. And then back to Nanjing, where he participated via video uh, 
uh, you know, participated, quote unquote. He used this to make the assertion subsequently that he had treated hundreds of patients in Wuhan before he returned uh, to manage the Diamond Princess outbreak and returned to the United States, set up the 10 hospitals in New York, um, set up the initial policy for uh, responding to uh, nursing, nursing home and extended care facility outbreaks. Uh, but I think when you boil it down, if you take a little bit of a cynical view, which I think we all have learned that we have to take, yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm compelled that the probability is fairly high that we had a senior CIA officer who is one of our top biowarfare specialists um, uh, basically parachute into Nanjing, be brought across the, the river to Wuhan, and, and he got played. As you can tell by the fact that I am ducking and dodging censorship by putting this episode in all different places, wouldn't it be nice if we could have one platform that actually is independent and actually stands up for free speech and open dialogue? Well, there is one, and you have an opportunity, opportunity to support them for next to nothing. Movies Plus wants to take Hollywood back to focusing on good storytelling instead of pushing agendas. They are freedom of speech maximalists. Their original series, which I just watched, is called Q Sent Me. It's about the Q Shaman. If you guys remember him, Mr. Horns on the Head, uh, and the real story behind January 6th, it premiered on November 11th, and they have original episodes coming out every couple of months on that same topic. It's fantastic. They also have uh, other documentaries on stuff that you're not allowed to talk about. All uh, little little controversy over on Tim Pool last night. They have a documentary about that guy. Uh, in addition to their originals and their exclusive, they also have thousands of titles on the platform, from indie films to classic Hollywood titles. All commercial free for just $5.99 a month. My audience is able to use the code LIBERTY and get $5 off an annual subscription. So you end up paying hardly anything. Again, that's mymoviesplus.com or search for Movies Plus in any app store or smart TV to watch on your favorite streaming device. It's a, it's a great platform. I've obviously used it already and it's very smooth. I was very impressed. Honest to God. Again, mymoviesplus.com. Promo code LIBERTY for five bucks off the annual subscription. Do not miss it. And he brought back that whole story, not just to me via telephone, but uh, to Bob Cadillac and the entire national security apparatus under the Trump administration. Wow. Well, let's start with what what was that phone call between you two, if, if I can ask, if you're even able to discuss it? So, um, yeah, I am. Uh, uh, and I, I've had secret clearance. Uh, it's currently um, inactive because I don't have a federal contract that requires me to use it, but it hasn't been rescinded in any way. Mm -hmm. However, none of this that took place was identified to me as in any way classified. So I'm at liberty to discuss it. I received a phone call that I had believed was from Wuhan by Michael Callahan on January 4th. Uh, and Michael is somebody that I've collaborated with in the past. I've published papers with in the past. He is a brilliant uh, infectious disease specialist. There's no, his, Michael's biggest problem, frankly, is that his IQ is so high that many people uh, just are not comfortable uh, talking to him. He's advised multiple presidents. He's been in the White House many times. Uh, he is one of our top uh, specialists in uh, gain-of-function research. Uh, there'll be more that'll come out about him in the upcoming Bobby Kennedy book that focuses on the uh, lab leak 
uh, and events and also talks about uh, um, Georgia. I'm talking about former Soviet Union and, and the Ukraine biolabs. Uh, there's a lot of information there. So Michael has long, deep roots. I didn't even realize how deep his roots were in this space until I read a article uh, posted in uh, this interesting website that Whitney Webb is involved with called Unlimited Hangout. Yep. Uh, and the title of the story is DARPA's Man in Wuhan. <laughs> I strongly recommend uh, anybody that's interested in going down this particular rabbit hole to read that one. I agree. Um, so uh, uh, Michael called me on January 4th, and uh, rec- he, he told me that it looked like we had a novel coronavirus that represented a significant threat and that I should get my team spun up. Uh, and that's a backstory as to what is my team. Uh, but uh, I've you know, previously done quite a bit of work with uh, USAMRID and others in drug repurposing for Zika and other things, a yellow fever. Uh, so I- Just a quick, quick clar- clarification. This is 2020, correct? Yeah, this is January of 2020, January okay. 4th of 2020. Yeah, just making sure. Uh, and um, uh, then Michael and I continued a very active uh, discussion uh, over the next few months and only fell uh, apart from each other uh, when he- uh, basically did some very aggressive things to try to claim credit for the discoveries that I and my team had made having to do with the uh, potential effectiveness of famotidine uh, as mm. a countermeasure. Um, and he tried to claim credit for that It's it's uh, and, and pushed it in Science Magazine and others. And, and this involved the Northwell Hospital System in New York. It's There's a whole that's a whole nother rabbit hole as to what happened uh, with Famotidine and the Associated Press and Northwell and the $20 million contract from BARDA to Alchem uh, and, and, you know, so many other things. It's a, it's something that few people ever uh, talk to me about. Well, um, if you'd like to go into it, you feel free. I, I don't think, I don't think right now it's, it's, okay. it's that pressing in the, in the scope of, of, uh, the stuff that's going on right now, it's it's a little bit of a, a backstory. Okay, uh, fair enough. You know, it, it was it was one of those that, I mean, there's been from people ask me, uh, you know, and this is one of the early chapters in the book, how I got red pilled. Um, and uh, you know, am I red pilled or am I black pilled? For those that know that metaphor, it's it's kind of on the, you know, I, I, <laughs> depends as, on the day, right? Yeah. Well, as Yanya Kellick said to me uh, months ago. Uh, um, it used to be that I could clearly tell the difference between a conspiracy theory and reality, and increasingly that is more and more and more difficult. Uh, and this is you and me both, the, brother. <laughs> one of the senior reporters for Epoch Times. Uh, it's been a long, uh, to quote the Grateful Dead, it has indeed been a long, strange trip over the last three years that we have all been journeyed on. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I, I do want to ask you a little bit about. Um, you know, your assessment that the CIA agent was was rolled in this situation, given that Fauci, NIH, uh, you know, they were funding through EcoHealth the research that was occurring in the Wuhan lab. Why are we so certain that this is a CCP op and not a joint one between the CIA and the CCP working together? I, I know that seems like a crazy question, but I think no, that it's, it's not at all. It's fair no, to and ask. It's, so, no, it's 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 more than fair. Um, so. Uh, to this end, uh, the group that I have long been uh, associated with, not as a client, 
so much from time to time as a client, but more as uh, um, me being an associate with deep uh, connections in senior leadership at Defense Threat Reduction Agency, which is different. People get confused. DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, is the CIA's arm uh, for advanced development of in in and proof of concept for a variety of technologies. They actually did create the internet. Um, they did create the SR-71 and so many other things. Uh, this is basically the funding arm of, uh, you know, CIA spook shop. Uh, and um, uh, DARPA has a uh, programmatic initiative that uh, they don't take projects that seem fairly certain to succeed. They take things that only have about a 20% probability of success. That's mm. just where they sit in the ecosystem sure. uh, uh, of funding is they're, they're way out on the edge trying to pilot breakthrough new technologies. Um, Defense Threat Reduction Agency is a branch uh, originally of the U.S. Army, but now uh, the, as the phrase is, it's all purple, right? Meaning that that all the forces are integrated. Um, and uh, DITRA, uh, was born of you. You may recall if you're you, you may be old enough, uh, but I made a reference to Grateful Dead. So if if you're if you're of that age that uh, references to Grateful Dead work for you, you may recall that there was a time when the Soviet Union collapsed. Oh sure, uh, and uh, I was and, I was about seven, but I remember it vaguely. And uh, and there was this problem of loose nukes yes. and nuclear scientists, uh, and there was the people that kind of gave birth to Ditra. Uh, were the ones that originally went into the former Soviet Union and, and did this very uh, strategic kind of surgical intervention where they bought up these loose nukes. It was a huge success in terms of DOD uh, policy and, and um, uh, you know, strategy and tactics. Uh, and that grew into a fairly large organization, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, that has both a nuclear uh, countermeasure component uh, and a ChemBio countermeasure component. Within the ChemBio, uh, both of those groups are kind of split into uh, more operational countermeasures and uh, um, uh, threat mitigation is the, the term that they use, uh, which is this kind of, uh, we give money out to uh, keep scientists on the other side from really going uh, and working for the bad, bad guys. Uh, and so, um, so I have always been as aligned with the chem bio, uh, countermeasures group. Um, so these are the people building drugs and vaccines and things against, uh, bio threats and, and, you know, nerve gases and that kind of stuff. And, uh, um, but I contacted, uh, last fall, uh, as the lab leak was kind of re um, coming up and gaining legitimacy, I contacted a close colleague that I had been asked uh, through this to kind of mentor a little bit mm. and uh, had done so. Um, uh, uh, an old friend had asked that I take him under my wing and, and try to help him. And so I asked him uh, if he had any touch points relating to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and whether or not his branch of DITRA did. And so he asked the question around, he, he didn't know the answer. He asked around and what he found out 
what came back to him was basically, uh, hey, fool, didn't you know that? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so it, the, the story turns out that Defense Threat Reduction Agency um, Threat Mitigation Branch has been funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology for a long time now and continues to do so in the present. Okay, so Even in the present, my goodness, in the present, yeah. So, so uh, we we like to, you know, Tony Fauci makes a very convenient, uh, um, worthy opponent. I'm I'm being as gentle as possible, uh, <laughs> foil. but uh, foil, yes, good put, uh, well put. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, or stalking horse, or there's other phrases we could use. Um, uh, but in fact, Tony sits at the kind of the pinnacle of both. HHS and DOD biodefense. Okay, so he's kind of got a dual role. Um, people often forget about the DOD side, mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, and and absolutely the documentation is clear with EcoHealth Alliance, etc., uh, that his fingers are all over uh, this issue. And uh, of course, the additional bolus of uh, FOIA documents that have recently been released further document that uh, and document his collusion with Farrar uh, yeah. and, and so many others uh, in trying to cover this up. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I was on a, a broadcast earlier this morning that was just playing clips from Fauci's uh, weekend escapades in which he's again trying to gaslight all of us about all of this. Yeah. I mean, it's classic Fauci where he rolls out the um, kind of uh, umbrage of, well, anybody with any knowledge of this area would agree with me that blah, 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 blah. It's just classic, you know, Fauci gaslighting. It's what he does again and again and again. It's this appeal to authority together with a straw man argument is his favorite go-to. Yeah. Um, I guess he gets a plus up because uh, usually the press just uh, settles for a straw man argument. And that's good enough for them. Uh, but he likes to add this appeal to authority. And of course, in his construction, he's always the authority, uh, the ultimate authority. Um, right. So so that cannot be challenged. Well, but I assure you, he will never be on my show because I would absolutely challenge him. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, so, yeah, so, uh, so uh, we, it is clear that multiple branches of the government were complicit in uh, these long-standing arrangements with uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And uh, one of the storylines that's come out of this, and, and I'm not sure, you know, there's a whole lot of historical revisionism going on right now, um, or we might call it ass covering, uh, <laughs> um, if we want to speak plainly. Yeah, uh, please. Where, where, uh, where the storyline that's coming out is, oh, those poor uh, scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology were underfunded. And so uh, they... Uh, really didn't have all the resources that they needed and the infrastructure and the training and and they just need to be you know cut some slack because bad things happen uh, <laughs> and uh, you know if we had I guess the logic is if we had only spent more money with them then this never would have happened I guess uh, yeah. Yeah, it's well. That's it's, that's the, normally the so uh, tortured. Now. That's normally the communist answer to everything. We just didn't go hard enough. We didn't have enough funding. Um, well, I, I have to, I mean, 
you have to connect these dots here. And I know we all sound like conspiracy theorists these days, but you're, you have already said that we were dealing with one of the most vast psychological operations, particularly that have ever been foisted Global. upon the American people. It's not just American people. It has been globally deployed. I completely agree with you. I'm just saying I think that the what makes it novel is that it was actually targeted by the American government at the American people. But perhaps that's occurred many times in the past. Uh, we don't have to go well, there. Oh, yeah. Mockingbird, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, we're, we're now in the in the and you you mentioned uh, I'm just going to give a shout out. You mentioned Mr. Obama. Um, and uh, I think that we have to come to terms with the fact that if you look back in the historic record, Mr. Obama has been at the tip of the spear in advocating this logic that we have to have censorship uh, and, and basically these uh, weaponized psyops approaches um, uh, to, you know, for the sake of democracy. It is such incredibly twisted logic that we have to, uh, the federal government has to intervene with free speech in order yeah. to protect democracy. It's, it's, it's so deeply Orwellian. But it has been Barack Obama at the forefront of this all the way through. Yes. And I think any thinking person has to question how, I'm going to say this carefully, how autonomous Mr. Obama is from our nat national uh, security and intelligence state. Yes, I, I think that's a, a fair and, uh, and gentle way of putting it. Um, but the, the question that I wanted to get to was, so if we're dealing with a global PSYOP, you also have a, a relationship between our government, our you know, DOD, whoever, Fauci, everybody, NIH, that's, that's working with the Wuhan lab in the creation or at least, well, I guess that's, that's the starting point as to, is this created? Is it a bioweapon? Is it intentionally released? Is it accidentally released? I, I know much of this is, is up in the air but I would love any clarity you could provide as to what occurred. Oh, sorry. I hit you with this. Okay. Fortu fortunately, I hit the mute button before. Yeah, I that sneezed. was great. Very professional. Um, uh, I'm, I'm working on it. You know, when <laughs> one does one's best. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, let's see if I can rephrase the question. Um, you're, you're asking about um, I'm the saying, same is the, issue is of, the, is the psyop is the psyop in terms of propaganda propagandizing us in the early days of COVID? Is that is that at all evidence that this was intentional from the get go? Because oh, a lot a lot of yeah, people yeah. are asking themselves that uh, as well. They should. Um, uh, so this is a main focus of the book, particularly in the middle section of the book, uh, which is all about sense making. Um, it's uh, is the structure of the book. Um, is built around the idea of a physician encountering a patient. And I guess we're all the patient in this metaphor. And the first section of the book is a series of first-person accounts of folks that have been at the tip of the spear and what it's been like to experience these things, censorship, et cetera, mm -hmm. defamation, um, loss of license, these kind of things. And then the middle part is the sense-making. And I, I come to the point, the conclusion... Uh, you cannot deny event 201. Um, it, it is there. It is documented. Um, it, it, uh, um, and it, it uh, anticipated almost all of these policies. Uh, it, it, it was very deep in 
the logic of collusion between press, tech, and government. Uh, um, so, and, and of course, notoriously, it involved a coronavirus. Mm -hmm. uh, and and it, was, uh, it was performed, this tabletop war game exercise at the Johns Hopkins Institute that is basically a CIA spook shop funded by, um, just to, for, so we're all on the same page, Event 201 was funded by Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum. Okay, <laughs> so let's just, just, you know, those are not, those are facts. Yes. It's not conspiracy. Those are facts. And uh, it brought together people from the intelligence community, um, the government, uh, media, tech, etc., to map out or war game a, a anticipated response to a novel coronavirus. And it did so in the fall of 2019, just as this virus we now know was entering uh, the population. Uh, so that that is not up for debate. It, it is what it is. Right. Um, just like the war games that were performed about the monkeypox outbreak almost precisely a year before it happened um, in Germany. Uh, so uh, when you ask, was this planned? Well, in effect, yes. Uh, the, the evidence is clear that there was planning and that it developed a script. And this script was uh, followed, I think we could say, religiously. Uh, and and uh, in, in, in the face of data, which suggested that the script uh, was not accurate because the script had been built around the thesis of a highly pathogenic coronavirus and a highly effective vaccine, uh, when the data varied from the script, they stuck to the script. They didn't modify it to the data. And, and I think this, this teaches us a lot of things, not the least of which is what we already knew about the mind of the bureaucrat. Um, but uh, be that as it may, that is what happened. In addition to that kind of uh, war game planning exercise that seems to have been deployed globally, and of course we can see in Canada, um, New Zealand, Australia, particularly egregious examples, including the United States, Germany, Austria, um, UK, uh, um, you know, throughout the EU, uh, the Netherlands, uh, they, they, uh, they deployed this script and, uh, acted on it. Um, in lockstep. I, yeah. I, I think the, the part that is harder to reconcile is, uh, I like to credit Ernst Wolf in Germany, uh, for his, uh, early thesis about the role of the central banks in, uh, you know, whether, whether they were involved directly in the planning. And of course, when we talk about World Economic Forum, we're talking about the central banks and the thousand largest companies in the world with their corporatist uh, agenda. But um, there, there clearly was a liquidity trap or crisis event that had developed by 2019. And... Uh, the lockdowns and infusion of fiat currency seems to have been a very, let's say, fortuitous. <laughs> Again, giving the benefit of the doubt, which we probably shouldn't give, uh, 
as, as Bannon likes to say, uh, there's no coincidences. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, but was, was this, uh, were the economic power forces, the, the central banks in on it uh, from the beginning? Were they involved in planning and weaponizing this from the outset or were they opportunists? I right. think that's another one that is going to be really hard to tie down. I, I don't think that uh, Larry Fink is uh, going to be holding up his hand and placing the other on a Bible and giving us sworn testimony anytime in the near future. Uh, I but, think he would catch on fire if he touched a Bible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I mean, no, I, well, I'm not, point, I'm not a fan. I apologize. Yeah, no. I, and to your point, I think many of us that are thinking people that have experienced this um, have uh, come to, uh, and it's certainly speaking for myself, I can speak for myself. Sure. Um, uh, I would have never imagined uh, using terms like evil right. uh, in, the, in the context of these kinds of things uh, uh, before what we've experienced over the last three years. But I, I think having been through it, uh, many of us have become more spiritually oriented. Yes. And, uh, and it's, and it's hard, however you want to phrase the, the meaning of the word evil, whether you want to go all the way to invoking Lucifer himself or, uh, the effects of broad-based, uh, uh, psychopathy and, uh, sociopathy right. and, uh, uh, chronic narcissistic leadership, uh, however you want to structure it, you know, whatever your language is. There's uh, something evil lurking in the hearts of a lot of these people that have uh, exploited this. And I, I think that's so in closer to your question, my opinion, and, and that's kind of the thrust of the book, is that uh, we've had a combination of uh, intent and ex opportunistic exploitation. Uh, and it's hard to really sort out uh, those two. Sure. Just as it's really hard to differentiate between uh, nefarious intent and incompetence, yes, uh, they 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 both are are you know uh, it, you know if we look at at Klaus Schwab and 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 Harari and the World Economic Forum and King Charles the Third, who by the way was the one that originally announced the Great Reset, it wasn't um, Klaus Schwab. Important to know. Oh, interesting. So Schwab basically a case can be made is is uh, his puppet master um, uh, is, or puppet masters includes uh, King Charles III. Hmm. Probably the Bank sitting. of England then. Uh, well put. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I think that, that the good news, uh, you know, and, and I'm always looking for the silver lining here. Uh, there's so much dark and grim. Uh, it's easy to get lost in that. And many people have um, and lose lose hope. Um, but, uh, one of the silver linings here is that, uh, this has kind of forced them out into the open. We can see them now. No we kidding. can see their, we can see their movements. We can see their footprints. Um, we can see and, and are increasingly attuned to their agendas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm amazed. Uh, you know, it's always been amazing watching Klaus Schwab. Uh, he, 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 it, he seems to have no self-awareness that he is, uh, a cartoon version of a Bond character. He's made himself into one. Uh, same with uh, Harari. Uh, but um, 
they seem to be coming even more emboldened. Uh, the latest Schwab statements coming out of the G20 associated meetings um, were pretty over the top. Uh, yeah. They think they've won. Yeah. Uh, they think that they, they are uh, in a position where they can force all of us into this. And I love to use this term. It's is, is their own language, this shaped future Mm. of the fourth industrial revolution and um, transhumanism, they, they think that they're, they're in a position, he, he made these amazing statements that uh, basically said that governments have to get on board with corporatism. Uh, and and uh, he used the metaphor at the end of that talk uh, that in, in the new future, it's not going to be the big fish eating the little fish. This came out of his mouth. Um, but it's going to be the fast fish eating the other fish. Um, and that if you didn't, if you're Mr. Government didn't get on board uh, with the corporations, then uh, you were going to be uh, eaten by the fast fish who have uh, bought into, and I'm going to say it, uh, the proper use of the term fascism yes. is corporatism. Right. And that is absolutely what they're advocating. Oh yeah, and he's and he's been doing so for a very long time, and and not under under the tutelage fashion. of Henry Kissinger. You know, yes, remember yes. Klaus Schwab is a Henry Kissinger get. If you want to support the people that are supporting Liberty Lockdown, the best way you can do it, particularly if you have a little uh, passion for the ganja, if you will, if you have a little bit of a a Dr. Green thumb, if you will, if you listen to Cypress Hill when you were in high school, if you will. Please go to thchempspot.com and use the promo code CLINT for 15% off, exclusive to my audience. No excuses. This is a Ron Paulian. He's one of us, entrepreneur, starts it up, delivering the goods for the people. Beautiful. Beautiful. Do not delay. thchempspot.com, promo code CLINT. You get free shipping on orders over $100. Again, the name is thchempspot.com. Come. Well, uh, I've got a limited amount of time left. So, uh, you know, as the Solzhenitsyn quote goes, and you brought this up earlier, like evil running right through the center of a man's heart, uh, good and evil. Uh, a lot of people are asking about other things that might be running through the center of our hearts right now. And a lot of people have watched the Died Suddenly documentary over the past week. I don't know if you've had an opportunity uh, to see yeah, it. No, I'm I'm well familiar and I've put out a Substack. stack. Uh, okay. Um, in the title of the Substack, just for your readers, if they want to find it on rwmalonemd.substack.com, yes, is uh, the sins of information warfare. Hmm. And and what I'm referring to is that that um, documentary uh, has is is grossly overstated. That's what um, I thought too. I'm completely uncomfortable. There are factual errors there. This is a sensationalism. And uh, if we buy into this, it's going to come back and bite us. It will be weaponized against us. And many people make the observation that um, Stu uh, Peters has characteristics that validly, you know, raise questions about whose side is he really on. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, it could be undermining our case. Just so, I mean, whether whether in knowledge, whether consciously or unconsciously, sure, putting out uh, um, the water video, uh, which Brian Artis has himself now has uh, um, uh, taken a stance against, 
uh, you know, Stu Peters basically took um, early stuff that Brian artists had not really vetted well and sensationalized and weaponized it. And he's now taking valid uh, things that have been documented by so many people, Ryan Cole being one of the early ones, uh, and uh, pathologists in, in Europe, etc., having to do with the clots uh, and other things. And um, he has uh, sensationalized that and weaponized it and then jumped to the conclusion that... Uh, this, this represents evidence of a broad-based conspiracy uh, to, um, for depopulation. And, and I don't question that Bill Gates and, and, and Harari and others have spoken about the need to reduce uh, the human population. But that doesn't mean that we can draw a straight line from a toxicity of a technology that's been deployed and inadequately tested before being deployed and intent. I'm sure. really, really uncomfortable. And part of that is because I've been trained as an expert witness by some very high-end attorneys uh, that, that you, you cannot get inside of somebody else's head. I don't know what Klaus Schwab is really thinking. I don't know what Bill Gates is really thinking. I observe his actions. His actions seem to be those of a monopolist with clear psychopathic uh, tendencies in that he doesn't have, doesn't seem to have uh, much empathy for people. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, does that prove that he is uh, actively deploying a eugenicist or depopulation agenda with these particular products. And that's, I really object to um, uh, conflating uh, hypothesis with uh, proven truth, which is something that Stu Peters, who has no training, you know, I'm not, I, I, you know, I used to be a carpenter. I was a farmhand. I'm not dissing people that work with their hands or, haven't been through stupid number of years of college, but, um, uh, you know, smart people, no matter what their walk of life and how much education they've had, um, know that you have to be really careful about mixing up um, hypotheses and, uh, um, uh, you know, assertions that this is truth. That That is a conspiracy theory to, to assert that, I know what's going on inside of Clint's head, um, and uh, and Clint thinks thus and such, and he's trying to do thus and such. Unless Clint specifically writes or says, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," uh, I I can't know, and right. uh, I think it's inappropriate. Uh, you know, I have no love for Bill Gates or Klaus Schwab or Noah <laughs> right. Harari, uh, but I still want to. This, this gets to my point about integrity and dignity and community, okay? Integrity means, among other things, we don't lie about stuff and we don't overstate stuff. We stick to the facts. We stick to what we can know and verify to the best of our ability. And we provide the documentation around um, proving that in, in, in justifying what we're saying. Dignity means we respect the dignity of other human beings, no matter what their walk of life. And that includes, I think, giving them a modicum of uh, latitude. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know what their motivations are, and I can't infer that I know. And to start uh, defaming and slandering people, even people that I don't like, um, I think it's just wrong. 
Yeah. And I'm, and I'm, and so if you read the essay, um, I talk about how I had once back when I was on Twitter, retweeted a video montage of people dying suddenly. Uh, this whole thing, this died suddenly thing is old news. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's nothing here that's new. Right. Um, but, uh, I had, I had tweeted this out and, uh, then I got this legal letter, uh, <sighs> You know, the, I didn't build this montage. I just retweeted it. Yeah. Uh, and I got attacked uh, because I had over half a million followers at the time. And and I got this legal letter from the lawyers of one of the young men depicted in that um, montage oh, that yeah. had died suddenly on the field during a sports event uh, well before the vaccines were deployed. So clearly it wasn't a vaccine-related thing. Uh. And it was the attorney for the parents because um, this was basically causing them pain. They, you know, and they felt that their son's tragic death was being weaponized for political purposes. And I think they were right. I think, yeah, I think it so was too. wrong. It was wrong of me. I didn't know. I was no, of ignorant. Course. But uh, I immediately deleted the tweet, the retweet, and, and I apologized to the lawyers. And I said, hey, I didn't know. Um, mea culpa. Uh, right. I apologize. Uh, it was a bad thing, and I've done everything I can to try to rectify it. Uh, and and so I I just feel strongly that we have to be better than the other side. The other side um, is willing to uh, weaponize falsehoods on a daily basis. Uh, you know, this is the essence of the propaganda that we're seeing pushed through it's, social it's, media and the press. It's literally what we're fighting back against. Yeah, like we, exactly. we can't be, we can't become that. And it, it, precisely, thank you for saying that, is we have to hold ourselves to higher standards if we want to come out of this and build a better world. Um, we cannot become our enemy. Yep. Beautifully said. Dr. Robert Malone, author of Lies My Government Told Me. Everybody, please go out and pick up that book. I'm sure it's going to be incredibly enlightening. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to leave my audience with before we head out of here? Yeah, um, I always like to try to leave on a positive note. Sure. And, and Me too. I really, I really do feel that we, I'm sensing from all over the world kind of an organic springing up of belief in uh, a decentralized future in opposition to the centralized, globalized, dark um, dy dystopia that um, they're trying to foster on us. And, and, I, and I think that uh, I'm seeing all ki kinds of movement towards that. And, yep. and I suggest for all of us and this is the thing that I'm most focused on. I just spent nine days in Istanbul with a small team uh, of international folks trying to think through strategy. And I think that the challenge that you, Clint, and me, and all of us need to do is to imagine a better future, to, to, to build that picture that the persuadable middle can, can see as something better than this dark vision that's being promoted on all of us. And uh, I think that uh, we have some amazing guideposts about how to get there. Um, it is this incredible document, a set of documents that we call the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Yeah, yeah they were all white guys. Uh, yeah, they were mostly rich. That doesn't mean that their thinking was wrong. 
Sure. It doesn't mean that uh, the insights that they had at that point in time, which have to do with fundamentals of human behavior yeah. and how to organize a limited uh, federalist government uh, that is basically a treaty organization with some limited functions like mutual defense that allows uh, the existence of semi-autonomous states within a nation. And, and I think that there is the, the, the process of the Constitutional Convention, the products that they came out with, the thinking that they came out with is uh, still resonates through time. And uh, there is still a ton we can learn from, and we can take that as our starting point in imagining a better future. Beautifully said. You sound like one of the best libertarians out there, and I don't even know if you'd classify yourself as that. But as one myself, uh, you're preaching to the choir. I really appreciate your time. And, and more than that, I, I deeply appreciate your courage for speaking out when so few did. Uh, I think that you have, in many ways, changed the course of human history, and I'm not overstating that doing what you did and speaking out as you did in that particular time was so important. I, I remember it like it was yesterday, the first time I heard it. And obviously I'm referencing the first time, as I think there may be future ones. Uh, the, the first interview with Joe Rogan, I just think it was so powerful. It really turned the narrative on its head. It allowed people like me who were pushing back against the mainstream narrative to say, hey, there's, there's someone with some real life. And, and, it, and it sure showed the, the coat colors of the old hippies, didn't it? it sure um, did. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the most amazing things of all, was having the Laurel Canyon crowd attack it. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you never know where, you're, <laughs> where the pushback's going to come from. But uh, anyways, I know you got more interviews to do today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if anybody wants to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. If there's one thing you're probably taking away from this interview with Dr. Robert Malone is that you probably shouldn't be trusting in the medical establishment right about now. <laughs> sure, you can find a good doctor, and if you have a good doctor, that's great. But you may not want to just be yielding to their authority on everything. And a good example of a way that you can actually take a little bit more control over your health is through our friend and sponsor over at Crowd Health. Open enrollment is here, and that means now is the time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. You can see any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or copays, only pay the first $500 of any healthcare event. The Crowd Health community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, and no surprises. You can take charge of your healthcare today with Crowd Health. Open enrollment is the only time you can hit the eject button on the broken system without penalty, so don't wait. And for a limited time, join for just $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code LOCKDOWN at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, promo code LOCKDOWN. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. We are finally back. The long-awaited return of the greatest living American, Mr. Judge Andrew Napolitano. Thank you for joining us, Judge. I can think of a lot greater, many still living, but thank you. It's always a pleasure to be with you, my dear friend. One of the greatest podcasts around, yours. Hey. And it's a delight uh, to play a small role uh, in your work, Clint. Oh, thank I, you. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, he's the host of Judging Freedom, which is absolutely crushing it. If you have not been watching his interviews, they are phenomenal. The coverage on Russia and Ukraine, I think, is the best that you will find anywhere. So I, my hat's off to you. It's been highly enlightening. 
Thank you. We're, we've we've had a lot of success. We now have a million views a week and growing. So I'm I'm deeply gratified, surprised, but happily so. Oh man, uh, I'm not I'm not so surprised. I mean, the the content that you're covering, you don't really hear it anywhere else, and uh, and these are real experts. So it's it's a tremendous service you're doing. Anyways, uh, let's move in since we don't only have a limited amount of time. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the the Biden push. He was basically asked, and it seemed like maybe it was even off the cuff remark, um, but I'm sure he didn't say it without having passed it by his people. Uh, he's talking about banning semi-autos. I mean, that is not assault rifles. That is not fully, you know, they're not machine guns. This is like the vast majority of guns in America. I, I think that it's a, a obvious Second Amendment violation. I think that even banning fully auto is a Second Amendment violation, but uh, I just want to get your feedback on it as to what you think. Well, I don't think the president knows what he's talking about when it comes to guns. I mean, a semi-automatic weapon uh, is a handgun with a magazine in the handle. So when you pull the trigger and then release it, the next round is there ready to go. The right. semi-automatic aspect is you don't have to do anything physically or mechanically to get the next round uh, in the chamber, it comes automatically. So we're not talking about a revolver where the, the, the barrel has to move. We're talking about a weapon with a magazine, you know, something uh, about uh, three quarters of an inch wide, six inches uh, long and three quarters of an inch deep. And it holds the rounds and there's a spring in there that pushes the next available round uh, into the weapon. This is a weapon that all police carry. Uh, this is a weapon that anybody who has the right to keep and bear arms ought to uh, carry. This is a standard use, high-end, accurate piece of equipment. This is the equipment that the Secret Service that will be protecting him for the rest of his life carry. <laughs> so right. when he says we have to get rid of semi-automatic weapons, he probably thinks he's talking about a machine gun, an old-fashioned pre-1934 a machine gun where you pull the trigger and hold it down and brrr, um, everything that's in there comes out. Now, those have not been lawful since 1934. I agree with you. They should be lawful. There shouldn't be any weapon, anything at all, that the government can own that we can't own. I mean, if the government derives its powers, all of its powers from the consent of the governed, how could we possibly consent to allow the government to do something that we can't do? Uh, you want to own a tank? Go buy a tank. Uh, you want to own a, a, um, an automatic machine gun that we know the military has and the police probably have, though they'll never admit it? You ought to be able to go and buy it. It's just inconceivable uh, in a government that derives its powers from the consent of the government. That's not me. That's Jefferson and the Declaration of Independence, that the government can do something uh, that we can't. It's also inconceivable that the president doesn't know what he's talking about, except we have a president that doesn't know what he's talking about. So it's not only conceivable, it's normal uh, and accepted. Every yeah. time there is a, uh, a mass killing, and in every one of them, they are stopped when the killer is stopped, either by a good guy with a gun or as in the gay club in Colorado last week by a good guy who was terrifically courageous and without a gun the president says we uh, have to get rid of assault weapons again he doesn't know 
what an assault weapon is. None of these killings, none, an easy number to remember, zero, uh, has involved the use of an assault weapon. The federal definition of an assault weapon, which is bizarre, uh, is one in which there is a handle for if you're right-handed, your left hand to hold while the barrel uh, is in the crook of your uh, of your armpit, uh, where there is a connection to put a bayonet on. Who the hell uses a bayonet today? I mean, the American troops haven't used bayonets for 100 years. Right. Um, and a couple of other minor pieces of plastic that have nothing to do with the accuracy or the power of the weapon. It just looks dangerous. So the lefties in the legislature, many of whom have never fired a weapon under any circumstances, decided to call it an assault weapon uh, and make it illegal. Illegal. <coughs> Pardon me, Clint. It's hogwash. The president doesn't know uh, what he's talking about. And if you own an AR-15, it's got some fancy pieces of plastic on it, and you bought it legally, don't worry about it. The feds are not going to be able to change the law. Uh, they don't have enough votes uh, in the Senate. They won't have enough votes uh, in the Senate after January, and they won't have the House after January. So relax. Okay. Well, that, that makes me feel better. Uh, the reason I, I, you know, I was openly theorizing uh, earlier this week that there may be a concerted effort, not just from the American government, but rather kind of a, a globalist push to disarm the people because I saw Trudeau just a month ago announced that they were banning uh, almost all firearms in, in Canada. And now you have Biden openly pontificating this, you know, a very similar sentiment. Uh, do you think it, the reason I, I, I connect these dots is because it, it was reported, I think, a week or two ago that, in fact, the Freedom Convoy had been crushed by Trudeau within like 24 hours of a Biden phone call basically telling him to do so. Uh, are these countries working in tandem to you know, tyrannize their people? Probably, yes. I mean, if I were Trudeau, I would have said, thank you, Joe, but you don't, you don't run the executive branch of the Canadian government. But uh, Trudeau, of course, is himself a totalitarian, uh, a hard uh, lefty who believes with the stroke of a pen that he can suspend uh, civil liberties. Uh, there is no Second Amendment uh, in any of the British Commonwealth uh, countries uh, because they all are willing to trust cops, many of whom don't even carry uh, guns, rather than to trust themselves to uh, protect themselves. I didn't know, Clint, uh, about this phone call. Uh, I do know that um, Trudeau's behavior during the trucker convoy was reprehensible and totalitarian. I mean, the police actually siphoned gas from the trucks, so they couldn't leave even if they wanted to, which was just uh, crazy. And of course, they arrested people who were taking baths because these people didn't want to leave their trucks and were sleeping in their trucks. It was a horrible, horrible thing the government did. It was a wonderful manifestation uh, of personal liberty. I think it will change the politics, thanks be to God, in uh, Canada the next time there's uh, a national election. Does the United States follow Canada? I don't think so, except there are a lot of lefties under Biden's, in Biden's orbit uh, who would like a Pierre Trudeau type, maybe somebody half Joe's age and even more authoritarian than he is uh, in the White House. I don't think they're going to get that, at least not uh, for a long time. Well, let's hope. Yeah, and I, and I wasn't implying that we were following Canada's lead, but rather uh, 
perhaps Canada serves as kind of a, uh, I don't want to say grooming, but testing <laughs> they, ground. Yeah, testing ground. Exactly. Um, yeah. Anyways, Listen, that, I wish that I wish that our truckers uh, had been bold enough to stage the kind of effective protest that the Canadian uh, trucker stage. I wish that the same New York Times, which condemned China for its lockdowns, would have condemned Governor Cuomo and Governor <laughs> Whitmer and Governor Hochul and Governor Murphy and the super uh, lockdown uh, princes and princesses uh, in the United States. But of course, it doesn't work that way. The American press views of the behavior of foreign governments differently than it views our own, even when they're effectively doing the same thing. I mean, the reasons there are riots in the streets in, in Canada, in, in China, excuse me, as we speak, is because they imposed these lockdowns from the outside in. People were locked in and couldn't get out, and 10 people burnt to death in a high-rise apartment fire. Yeah, it's insane. I, I, I did want to ask you about um, the the latest with Apple threatening to deplatform. Uh, Twitter from their app store. Um, the reason I, I bring it up is because uh, it's once again putting me in the tough position of deciding whether or not this is a statist outcome. But we had Ron DeSantis on stage uh, earlier this morning actually talking about this very issue. Would you mind if I play the clip for you and just get your oh, feedback? Oh, not at all. Okay, let's do that. concerning when you also hear reports that Apple is threatening to remove Twitter from the App Store because Elon Musk is actually opening it up for free speech and is restoring a lot of accounts that were uh, unfairly and illegitimately suspended for putting out accurate information about COVID. That's like one of the main things that's being reinstated so many things these experts were wrong at and you had people on twitter that were calling that out and twitter the old regime in twitter their response was to try to just suffocate the dissent and and, and elon musk knows that's not a winning formula and so he's uh providing free speech and so if apple responds to that uh by nuking them from from the app store you know i think that that would be a huge huge mistake and it would be a really raw exercise of monopolistic power that I think would merit a response uh, from, from the United States Congress. And so uh, don't. I think that we would all agree with his assessment right up until the very end. Yes, yes, yes. Right up until the very end. Look, if he were private citizen, Ron DeSantis, saying what he said up until the last statement, I would be cheering him on. Right. But he's the governor of a state uh, uh, that has a legislature that backs him up, and he could presumably enact some uh, statute which would have the government uh, interfering uh, with Twitter or Apple, which would be far worse than these decisions that Twitter and Apple makes. These are private entities, unless they're doing the government's bidding. You know, if Twitter kicked people off because the Department of Homeland Security used a carrot or a stick to get them to do so, then Twitter's behavior is actionable. But if Twitter kicked them off because Jack Dorsey hated Donald Trump or hated whoever he was kicking off, sure, that's that's the authority that comes with being the, the king of the hill uh, of a private company and the governor of Florida and the legislature of Florida and the Congress of the United States have nothing to do with it. Uh, because the First Amendment keeps all government out of the business of tinkering with the content of speech. 
Well, this, this if is I want to invite people to my garden party and say only libertarians can come and I hire armed guards to throw out people that are non-libertarians, I can do that. And there isn't a damn thing the government can do about it. And the other side of the spectrum can do the same thing. Right. I think Ron DeSantis's heart is in the right place, but I'm not so sure I want him to have the levers of power of the government if he thinks he's going to use them to tell private people what speech they should listen to and what speech they shouldn't. Well, this is the the terrible conflict that we're in because we do have evidence, emails uh, from CDC, DHS, et cetera, yes. that, that were essentially guiding them on what their terms of service would be when it came to COVID response. And well, why, why Apple would, would listen or Twitter or whoever it was, why, why these uh, corporate chieftains would want to serve their government masters is beyond me. That's why I said there's a carrot or a stick. There must be some secret benefit uh, that the government is providing to these companies. It oh, may yeah. not be so secret. It may just be the statute that uh, that immunizes the bulletin board from liability for what's posted on the bulletin board. They may very well have said, you know, you want that statute to stay, you do our bidding, you suppress Trump's speech, you suppress uh, the speech of conservatives and uh, libertarians that we hate uh, and, uh, and fear. There might also be a carrot. There might be some other benefit that these companies are getting that we don't know about. When that happens, the recipient the private actor, in this case, Twitter or Apple, whoever it uh, might be, then is governed by the First Amendment. Then the First Amendment extends its reach to the private actor. I'm holding my fingers together. Here's the government and here's Apple. When the private actor and, and the government are in a symbiotic relationship, each doing the bidding of the other, then the First Amendment, which regulates and thanks be to God, restrains the government, is extended to regulate and restrain the private actor. Right. So if they did this, again, out of carrot, they wanted a benefit or stick, fear of what the government might do, they're shooting themselves in the foot because the day the First Amendment regulates big tech is the day they can't sanction anybody because of the content of their speech. Interesting. I yeah. just finished a um, judging freedom uh, uh, saying to Elon Musk, Put Alex Jones back on. You know, you're you're putting everybody back on. Put Alex uh, back on. You want to be the, the marketplace and free ideas. Don't sanction anybody for the content of their speech. If you hate the speaker or hate the speech, the remedy is not silence. It's more speech. I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that the the tough part is, is like we have the the trail of evidence that demonstrates at a minimum, the government was at least advising them on their censorship practices. Yes, we do. I think that, you know, whether you can prove the coercive na nature of that stick is the is the hard part. Can we make a case? Well, like if, if DeSantis were to get up there and say, I'm calling upon my, I don't know, DA or whatever to look into this as a First Amendment case, would that be proper in his role? You know, I'm happy you raised that, Clint. I have been very critical of popularly elected state attorneys general. Oh, that's what I meant, AG, yeah. Pardon me? Uh, that's what I meant, AG. I said DA. That was my mistake. Right, right. Uh, who are using uh, the power uh, of the government 
to interfere with private industry. I'll give you an example. When they sued the tobacco companies for selling a lawful product that adequately warned of the harm uh, that it caused, uh, they extorted billions out of the tobacco companies. I've been very critical of that. However, this lawsuit, which already exists, it's the Attorney General of Texas mm. and the Attorney General of Louisiana suing big tech in federal district court in New Orleans. This lawsuit has unearthed the very documents you're talking about. It has unearthed a conspiracy to suppress free speech. So sometimes these state attorneys general can do the right thing. Sometimes they're just looking for uh, cheap, easy money to spend. In this case, they're doing the right thing. And if uh, Governor DeSantis is interested in it, it'd be very easy for the Florida AG to join that litigation. Okay. Well, then I think that's that's probably the the proper counter I should de deliver to him as opposed to just condemning him outright. Say, as you said, I think his heart is in the right place. Uh, obviously, he has political calculations that are going into this decision-making process. Right. But I think that this is a really serious problem. And if you value speech and open dialogue and open debate, we're going to have to have someone who steps up to address this. And if it's the courts that have to do it, if it's the Supreme Court that has to do it, so be it. We cannot allow this to continue to happen. If Apple does that because they have an oligopoly, it's it's or a duopoly, really, because it's just Google and Apple that have like 90 plus percent of phones. Well, if they did platform Twitter from there, their uh, their app store, that's pretty much backbreaking. And I, yeah. I just I hate to see them continue to wield this power, particularly if it's coming from direction from the federal government. You know, you you and I are in the business of uh, moving the needle and expressing opinion, even sometimes outraging uh, people. Listeners want to hear this. You shouldn't live in fear of being sanctioned. I shouldn't live in fear of being sanctioned. Alex Jones shouldn't. Glenn Beck shouldn't. None of us who do this for a living should live in that fear, nor should our listeners live in the fear that one day our screens uh, will be blank uh, because some uh, corporate chieftain was cowed by the government into uh, silencing us. Yeah. Uh, the more the government cows, the less freedom there is. But the more the government cows, the more the First Amendment will be applied to those it cows. If you don't mind me overusing that word. <laughs> <laughs> no, makes Ooh. perfect sense. <laughs> well, uh, this has been highly enlightening as usual. It's it, we uh, we had. Ships crossed in the night for about a month, but I'm so thrilled to have you back on. Thank you for enlightening my audience as always. Oh, Everybody, it's a pleasure, and I hope we can get back to doing it at least once a week, my friend. Absolutely. Everybody go subscribe to Judging Freedom. Do not miss his show. It is blowing up. I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier. Happening to a better guy. Thank you again for joining us, Judge. Thank you, Clint. All the best. Boy, oh boy. I hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. Absolutely floored by the depth and honesty in that conversation. Uh, went honestly better than I even expected. And I had pretty high hopes. So that doesn't usually happen that they get exceeded. But I hope you guys felt the same way. If you think that that was enlightening, please, please, please share it around to your friends, family, anybody that's even somewhat awake or on the fence of being awake. Well, this would be a good opportunity to get them all the way there. And last but not least, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com or toplobster.com where you can pick up a Liberty Lockdown shirt. Become a walking billboard, help spread the word. You know, we are constantly on the defensive being in this arena, this industry, if you want to call it that, uh, constantly being deplatformed or at least, you know, suspended, threatened with it. 
and uh, you guys have a real opportunity to help creators, which I guess I am now, which is a weird thing to think about. Um, just a podcaster. But, you know, if you enjoy the content, if you value the content, a little value for value. And scratch your bag, you scratch mine. I give you a podcast that's like telling you way more truth than anybody else. You throw me five bucks a month, huh? LibertyLockdown.Locals.com. Last but not least, leave a five-star review wherever you're listening to help with the algos. We are out. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?